Hi, friends. This is episode 59 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi there, everybody. I am so delighted to be able to spend some time in this way with you. I have to tell you, I'm recording this the day before we were supposed to meet tomorrow for our next session. It was going to be a brand new session, and this coronavirus has caused us to replan everything and to truly protect our community from a very dangerous virus. And so what it's caused me to do is to realize just how incredible it is for all of us to get together, how spoiled I am from week to week to be able to spend time with each of you. And I can't believe how much I'm missing it right now, knowing that I'm not going to get that opportunity tomorrow. But during this time, before we start this session, I I want you to think about something. You know, we've been going through the character of God and researching it and trying to develop it in our own hearts. And it's made me think about something. You know, as people are acting fearful right now, which many of them have right to be fearful, what is the difference between us and people that don't know our loving God? Is there a difference when people come into contact with us as people are acting crazy at stores? Are they experiencing from you something calm? Someone that knows someone else is in control that loves us dearly? Are they seeing a smile on your face and your shoulders back and and you standing tall knowing that perfect love cast out all fear and knowing that regardless of what happens, God's going to make everything beautiful in his own time. At this time that we're separated from each other, just know we're seeking out some technological ways that we can interact in the coming weeks. But today I just want you to take great hope in knowing that not only we serve a loving God, but he's giving you an opportunity right now to show your community What does it look like when someone who is just absorbed in God's beautiful, infinite love, what happens to that person in times like this? And then be that light in your community, helping people understand we're going to get through this and we're going to take every opportunity to help the people in our community get through this because we can't help but love them because God loved us first. And so today, as we go into this conversation, I want you to truly take that as not only a challenge, but also as your greatest hope in knowing we have an opportunity today. Now, in this session, we talked about Abraham and his two boys. And Abraham asks a very interesting question to a group of people who thought they had it all figured out. And I can't wait for you to be part of this discovery and this conversation as well. So take a few moments, go to thebiblelab.com if you haven't already. Make sure you get the study guide for episode two of the series, What God Wants, and follow along as we have this great discussion. Welcome to the Bible Lab. All right, are you guys ready? Here we go. Number one, I would rather be told what to do than to have to figure out what I'm supposed to do on my own. All right, let's see here. I'm seeing a lot of husbands raise their no card. I'm not going to dig deep into that, but I imagine they're tired of being told what to do, dear sweet wives. No, it looked like about 65% no, about 20% yes 
And what's left? 15% maybes. A lot of maybes. It depends on who's telling you, right? And it depends on whether it's at home or at work. Is that the problem? Yes, I'm getting a lot of yes there. Many of us who come onto a new situation, and whether that's relationally or professionally, you come into, let's say you're coming into a new job. Yes, no cards. This is not written down, but yes or no cards. How many of you would prefer to have a detailed job description? Yes or no? Oh, look at this overwhelming green. Okay, the, the vast majority, those who are saying no, you're ready to revolutionize that position anyways, and that would just get in your way. But most of you, the vast majority have said, yeah, I want to know what the expectations are. Give me a job description so I know that I can meet and exceed that job description, right? If you're in a relationship, you're dating. See some of the young people smiling right now. It's all smiles, chocolates, and roses. Enjoy it. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I didn't say it would go away. I said enjoy it. Enjoy it. It, it lasts forever, doesn't it, baby? <laughs> My wife's here to confirm. She has no idea what the rest of you have to deal with, ladies. Yes. Coming into a relationship, would you prefer to know the expectations of the individual that you were getting closer to, or would you prefer to wing it? Yes or no? You, you, you would prefer to know the expectations? I'm sorry, I asked two questions. Everyone's maybe. No, vast majority of you, yes. You want to know the expectations. What do I need to do? And then today we're going to get into a situation where the expectations become the enemy. And we're going to talk about this because most of us, uh, the reason why I asked those two questions is because you, you answered incorrectly on the first statement that I read there. <laughs> because I know you're trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. And what I'm trying to say is most of us prefer to know, in writing if, if possible, to know the expectations so we can meet or exceed the expectations. It's just inherent in humanity. We want to know what's expected. When you start a new class and the professor hands out the syllabi, those of you who are professors, you know. Why do you hand out a syllabus in the class? Because you want those students to know, what do you have to do to get an A in my class? And if I don't communicate that to you in black and white, you will flounder and perhaps not figure out how to get an A in my class. And as a professor, you want them to get an A because the students reflect the teacher. And so it becomes very difficult for us as we have to read something that sounds very unchristian today. Galatians is probably one of the toughest letters for us religious people to read today. Why? Because it seems to go against everything that we've learned, everything that they've preached to us growing up, and quite frankly, we don't know what to do with the advice because it seems counter to everything that we were taught growing up. And what we're going to be taught today is to throw away the syllabus, throw away the rules, throw away the job description, and throw away whatever expectations that the person you're in relationship with has given to you. Throw it all away. What do you do with that? It's going to be a really challenging conversation, especially for those of us who grew up in the Christian faith. Because we figured it out. We put it all in a neat box, and some of you even put a bow on top, and you've tied it off. It's perfect. You know exactly what you need to do to be in right relationship with God. And today, 
someone's going to kick that box down the street. And you're going to have to figure out what to do because it seems pretty disrespectful. Number two, if a mom has issues, their kids are forced to deal with those issues in their own lives. <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of grumbling out in the crowd. I'm saying predominantly yes. Wow. So if a mom has issues, the child also will have to deal with those same issues in their own life. It's, it's cyclical. Hmm. The vast majority, it looked like about 85% of you said yes, about 10% said no, and 5% said maybe. All right, we're, we're going to talk about that. These generational issues that are passed on from one generation to the next, whether you like it or not. Number three, I grew up in a legalistic home. I grew up in a legalistic home. I'm seeing, okay, it looks like, wow, this is close. It's like 55% yes and 45% no. I have got no maybes. Okay, we're clear on what legalistic means, obviously. <laughs> so we're split, but the majority goes to those who grew up in a legalistic home. So this is where we're going to see two different perspectives. When we start sharing on the microphones, you're going to see two very different experiences growing up and how it's led you to the Bible lab today and why some things are extremely important to you and others say, why is that such a big deal? You're going to see that today. Number four, if humanity were given total freedom, we would destroy ourselves. Oh, I didn't expect this. I'm seeing like 95% yes, and then a split, almost even split between the no's and the maybes for the remainder. Wow. So if we were given freedom, <laughs> you don't trust humanity, do you? No, no. You've, you've been out in public too many times, you know. Given total freedom, some people will wear pajamas to Walmart. Yes. <laughs> it just happens. Number five, God would rather us not have a list of guidelines. God would rather us not have a list of guidelines. Whoa, okay, this is bizarre. I'm seeing a, a huge majority, 90% are saying yes. And then I see about 7% no and 3% maybes. I didn't expect that one either. So maybe, uh, yeah, I'm going to learn something definitely today. I usually learn three or four things. It looks like I'm going to learn 10 things today. Because you're saying God doesn't want a list of guidelines. So here's a question. Did he give a list of guidelines? But he doesn't want us to use it. So God doesn't know what he's doing. Can we help God out today? So he did give a list of guidelines. But he did it. Someone said not in the beginning, but quite frankly, thou shalt eat of any tree in the garden except for one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So were there guidelines from the very beginning? Okay. So it just goes to show if there's one rule or a million rules, we'll find a way to break it. That's right. We've got a real challenge today. Because we've grown up saying God has given very precise guidelines. And today, Paul says, throw away the guidelines. Or at least it appears that he's saying that. 
And we're going to have to wrestle with this to see how are we supposed to understand God? And how does this section of scripture show like no other place that God is love? And what God expects you to see in him. This is one of the challenging places that we have to stop reading scripture the way we typically do. And stop saying, what does this tell me I have to do? And stop and say, what does this say about God? Okay? That will keep us safe today. Or at least keep me safe today. So I want to ask you a question starting out. So get your comment or question cards ready. Because we'll bring a mic to you if you want to share something. But I want to ask, of all of God's law, of all of it, what specific law or rule would you have a very difficult time giving up? Of all of God's law, is there a law that specifically, if someone says, look, you can't do that anymore, is there something that would be very difficult for you to give up to the point that you would never give it up? Okay, so comment, question cards, raise them up. We're going to get a microphone to you right away. Who's going to start us out today? Yes, go ahead. Having grown up Seventh-day Adventist, uh-huh. it'd be really hard for me to give up on the Sabbath. Oh, yeah. And after, why, why is that? Well, my body's so used to it, if nothing else. By Friday afternoon, I'm ready to sleep. Yeah. Like, everything about how my life is run, my schedule, I, it's just, it's so a part of who and what I am. Yeah. That I don't know. Yeah, it's it's changed my DNA essentially. Yeah. I don't know that I could live without keeping the Sabbath. It's just hmm. I, I can't even fathom it. You need that rhythm of rest. Right. Okay, that's good. Who else? I've got one I uh, love it card there. Good. Who else? There's something that you'd have a really hard time. And you can say the same thing and just give your differing reason for why. I've got one right here. Thank you. Right there. You know, I think it's really hard to give up control because, um, you know, and that probably comes down to selfishness is what I'm yeah. guessing. I'm, I'm not sure as which specific of the Ten Commandments it is, mm-hmm. but um, to feel helpless and, you know, we think we can help God along. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's the hardest challenge for me. Yeah, it's actually included in the law in thou shalt have no other gods before me. If you want to be in control, you can't have God in control. And so it is included in thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's the initial sin, you guys know that, is Lucifer said, you know, I could run things better than you. And his control freak uh, instincts and his desire to control is the original sin. It's tough. Back here. Yes, blue mic. Yes, I've had a problem with that for quite some time in the past. And can you imagine the writer of Galatians, Paul, mm-hmm. who was Saul? Yeah. All of a sudden, he's given this vision, and he's given the good news, the gospel. He calls it his gospel. Mm-hmm. Because of all the apostles, disciples, whatever, Paul's the one that stands up, who was an ex-Pharisee, yeah. knowledgeable, sincere guy. Here he is faced with the vision that Christ gave him that you're no longer under law but under grace. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then Galatians, who are Christians, 
believed it at that moment, yeah. but they went back yeah. and grace. They started mixing the two, yeah. and Paul calls them foolish. Mm -hmm. What would Paul be calling us today, having this conversation about we are not under grace, but we're under law, yeah. or mix the two together? Yeah. Could that be the last message in Revelation where it talks about you're either hot or cold? Mm -hmm. We don't want to mix the two together. You cannot mix the two together. Yeah. Yeah. Because law is not going to suffice for us to be with Jesus forever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm excited about this good news. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like something that has been uncovered for us, possibly in the last days, yeah. to have this conversation, to realize that the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. is moving among us, yeah. to excite us about what God mm. has for us. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to come right back to that after uh, we're done with the comments here. Green microphone. Yes. The protection for the family. Um, God has placed the family in the law by his directive not to commit adultery. The, the importance of the family seems to be so closely allied to the Sabbath that uh, they don't exist, the one without the other. Um, you need a family to celebrate the Sabbath. And so I, I, I don't know how I could give up my family and uh, the, the beauty that it provides for worship to God and, of course, for carrying out my responsibilities here. Yeah, I hear you. You know, what's going on in the context that Paul is speaking, because by the way, you can't read scripture and understand it without understanding a couple of things. You have to understand the culture, you have to understand the context, and you have to understand the language. And that's what we do here to get the full meaning of what's being said. Let me help you with some background context. What's going on in the Galatian church uh, is those who are coming and believing that Jesus Christ was the Jewish Messiah, are coming into a church filled with Jews who have acknowledged that their Messiah has come. And now they're called Christians because they followed Christ as their Messiah. So all of these non-Jews are coming into church. One of the things that you can do to totally destroy a church is have an evangelistic campaign and be really successful. Because once you bring in a majority of people who aren't culturally you, they didn't grow up in the church, they don't understand your culture, they don't know why everyone is avoiding the pepperoni pizza at potluck. <laughs> now we have people that listen to the podcast or, or watch the broadcast who say, I, I don't get it. So I have to explain. Seventh-day Adventists have followed some health guidelines. And Almost all Seventh-day Adventists follow Leviticus 11 that divides what would be an unclean meat from a clean meat. And it's okay to eat clean meat, 
but don't eat unclean meat. And pig is an unclean meat, and so pepperoni would be unclean. So much like the Jewish belief of clean and unclean, they don't touch it. And I know some people here or listening say that's kind of crazy. You're right, but we're crazy people. The really, really good Adventist don't eat any meat. <laughs> but just wait, there's more. Those that are assured of going to heaven are vegan. If you don't believe me, just ask them. Now, for those of you who are offended, I'm a vegetarian, and my wife almost completely cooks vegan. So she's working on me because she doesn't want to be in heaven alone. That's true love. So those of you listening, you, you just have to understand, there's cultural things within our movement. That's just one of the things. If you think that's strange, just wait till we tell you the other things that are strange about our culture. It's just become inherent for those of you who are generationally part of this movement. And because of that, if someone were to serve something at potluck that doesn't follow the traditional dietary guidelines, number one, if it's unclean meat, they're not going to touch it. Number two, if it's beef or chicken, it's gone before everything else. <laughs> Are you kidding? They haven't had that in forever. Wow, this tastes just like meat. Wonder why. <laughs> We're crazy. We're crazy about this stuff. And so were the Jews. The Jews had the, the uniqueness that when the Gentiles would come in, they'd be like, I didn't even know I was breaking one of your rules. And here I did it just so openly. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. And because of that, it caused a big disruption in church because many people looked at that and said, it's just not the same. And someone's got to teach these people the, the way. In the time of Paul, there was not only the dietary issues, but there was also circumcision, which was seen as, as a male, you're really committed. You're really committed. <laughs> and Paul comes in, and he says it's not necessary. It's the same as coming into our movement and certain things that we hold near and dear. The pastor saying, oh, you don't have to do that. Other church members are going to do it, but you don't have to do that to be part of us. And many people would be offended in our movement today if a pastor did that. In fact, it would make all the news. Adventists would read it. No one else would. But it would make all of those news networks. But this is the feel, the context of what's happening behind the scripture. And as we open up, I want you to think about that. What would it do to us today if a majority of people who are new to our movement completely trampled over all the things that have made us culturally different and in some ways traditionally special. Imagine that feeling of being overtaken by the world and trying to in some way retain the specialness of your movement. And that's the feel of the people that Paul is writing to. And in that context of emotion, he says in Galatians 4, verse 21 to 31, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. He says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, he's speaking to the 
Galatian Gentiles here, most commentators believe, which means that they haven't yet committed to it, but they're very strongly considering living exactly the same way as the Jews were living. All of the regulations and all of the traditions. And he says, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Holy Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, we are children of the free woman. Hmm. Now you see why you haven't heard a sermon on this lately? This is tough. Really tough. So let's start out. Verse 22. It says, Abraham had two sons. Now everyone in the Jewish faith was very meticulous about genealogy. Because if you could prove your lineage and how it connected to Abraham in some direct way... You were truly a child of the promise. You truly were the chosen people of God. It ran in your DNA. It pumped through your heart. It was your lifeblood. You are chosen of God because you are from Father Abraham. Paul takes that and says, oh, that's great. That's great. Don't forget, you can call yourself Abraham's son, but he had two sons. Which one are you? Ishmael or Isaac? So as we start out, we have to ask, what do you think Paul means when he says that we have two different options of how we approach the law of God? We're going to start with a green microphone back here. Yes. Yeah, um, I was about to talk about um, obedience in yes, terms sir. of the law of God. Yeah. Honor your father and mother. You know, this obedience sometimes is very difficult. Yeah. Why? Because I come from a culture where we have to obey our parents. But sometimes our parents don't go to church. They're not even Christians. Yeah. And if we decide to obey them, as the Bible says, it's very difficult for us. I moved into 
Seven Days, the, the Seven Days Adventist movement disobeying every other rule, every other law, and every other instruction. Yeah. And I was looked upon as an outcast mm. for quite a while. I lost all my friends, yeah. but I persevered. Yeah. And I can see the fruit of Seven Days Adventism, even yeah. traveling from Africa right to yeah. uh, America and being in the heart of Adventism in Loma Linda. Yeah. Here in the Bible lab, I'm benefiting a lot yeah. from all that I'm learning. Yeah. And uh, I have disobeyed so many people, but I'm still struggling. Yeah. Am I respecting that word in the Bible to honor my parents? Yeah. So um, maybe you can help me with that. I, I hope we can all help you with that today, because what Paul is calling us to is divine disobedience, to go against what those in authority have told us to do. And in some way to still show respect to them, but to do something differently than the way church typically settles into how are you saved and what does God need for you to do right now? And so hopefully through this conversation, that's exactly what we're going to do. Red mic, Raul. Um, I see that in, um, in religious life or in faith life, there are two types of personalities. Mm -hmm. One is uh, based on understanding and the other one is based on experiencing. And Paul here is somehow addressing that. There's a group of church members or um, new believers, both Gentiles and Jewish, who have difficulties understanding and experiencing. Yeah. The pagans, the Gentiles, n they neither have understanding nor experience. And they were confused. Yeah. And the Jewish thought they had understanding. Mm. But Jesus came and said, you don't understand the law. <laughs> you don't understand, you know, you, you, this of killing that or, yeah. or the offerings or the Sabbath, you are, you are not understanding. Yeah. And your experience is empty. Experiencing the mm. law of God is actually an empty experience for you. Yeah. And Paul uh, makes a great effort trying to explain to both that both are important but the love of God is primary above all. Mm. That's huge. Howard. My question is really, uh, can you help us with the definition of what Paul is speaking to when he says the law? Hmm. Being that uh, there, as I learned years ago, there's a ceremonial law, there's the Ten Commandments and so yeah. forth. Yeah. And that has been a major question in yeah. reading this. Thank you. That, and that's huge for clarification. Thank you, Howard. As the people would have understood the word law, they actually wouldn't go back to the Ten Commandments alone. They actually would go to the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Um, they called that the book of the law. And so anything written in there, the Levitical laws, which were dietary and then sacrificial, uh, very clear guidelines of how to gain forgiveness and how to be in right relationship with God. And so they would have viewed it as far larger than just Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. They would have viewed it as the first five full books of the Old Testament, that our Old Testament, they call it the Torah. Yes, Harvey. What I see, Ishmael is the child of doing and trusting self. Mm. Isaac is the child of promise 
and trusting God. And whether you keep the Sabbath and don't kill your mother-in-law, it doesn't matter. If you trust yourself, it doesn't count for anything. It's trusting God that counts. That's true. That is absolutely true. We're going to come back to that. Hang on to what Harvey just said. Green mic. Growing up, it was really difficult for me to understand obedience to the law. Yeah. In addition, even the teachings of Mrs. White, mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, guidance that she wanted us to follow. It took me a while to understand, really. Obedience has two aspects. One is a behavioral aspect of obedience, mm -hmm. which is very difficult to do. And the other one is relational mm. obedience. What I mean is that if you concentrate only on the behavioral aspect of obeying the law, mm -hmm. it's just more outwardly. Mm -hmm. But if you concentrate on that relational, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Mm -hmm. And we cannot love him if we don't know him. Mm -hmm. So once I grasp that idea that if you just keep knowing Christ every day, every moment of your life, the obedience is relational and it's not difficult to do. You're actually yeah. happy to do it. Yeah. And it's actually more meaningful because now you're obeying Christ not just because of the outward thing that you need to do, but because Christ is working in your heart. Mm -hmm. And he's actually the one through the Holy Spirit abiding in you and letting you obey yeah. willingly. And no matter what happens, if you fall along the way, uh, God is not just like what we know before, that he will actually punish you just like the Jewish uh, culture. Yeah. Actually, even if we fall along the way, if we fail, God is still there. Hmm waiting for us to yeah. come back to him yeah because he loves us and he he wants us to know him more mm -hmm. and love him more mm -hmm. you're right he never leaves us or forsakes us we leave and forsake him he's always there i'm going to come back to this because you in your statement you've also asked a pertinent question that i'm sure a lot of people are asking so how do you live this relationship because i try but i don't feel worthy number one and number two, I'm not really consistent. How can I be more consistent? How can I have a vibrant, growing relationship with God on days that I don't go to the Bible lab? How do I, in my mind, develop this understanding of relationship with God in concrete ways? And I'm going to come to that in a couple of minutes, but I want to get to Red Mike over here first. Brian. Um. I used to be involved in uh, substance abuse programs, and mm -hmm. um, when I look at, I look from the periphery at Christianity sometimes, because I wasn't always a Christian. And so I look at it, and I don't just don't look at Adventists, I look at everybody. And um, what I see is something that equates to people who are uh, substance abusers. Mm. And, and I see people who have, um, what they would do is they would give up drinking, and they would become what you call a dry drunk. And they would be absolutely miserable because they were doing everything they needed to do not to be an alcoholic. And then I would see the people who would reach out to their higher power. And it's, and it's a supernatural event. And, and we can't forget that, that this isn't just a behavior or philosophy that we're adopting. It's actually God in us reworking our will You're to right. where these people were no longer dry drunks. They were the non-alcoholics. I mean, they were alcoholics, yeah. but they were in recovery. 
And so they would, by a new nature, do everything that they would do as people who were in recovery. Yeah. So they were happy, wonderful, kind people. Most of the alcoholics I know who are in recovery are just great, great people. Yeah. And, and I see the spirituality that they have far exceeds some Christian groups mm -hmm. or some Christians because they're trying to be Christians, but it's not flowing out from their heart. Yeah. So I don't know how to put yeah. that all into Galatians here, but that's... Well, I do. I do. And I love, I love what you said. And the reason why I said I do is because if you want to know exactly how that works, how this higher power comes in and can change your cravings, can completely tempt you to do good and make what is cyclical in your life, the bad that just keeps coming, you just keep falling to temptation, the Holy Spirit can make that distasteful to you. If you want to know exactly how that is, come in two weeks, because we are going to discuss that. It's so clear in Galatians, the best place in all of Scripture that summarizes what happens when someone at an AA meeting says, higher power, I need you to come in and help me. And many of you will completely experience what freedom feels like two sessions from now. We're all dealing with something. We're going to experience freedom when we truly see what the character of God does in our lives in the areas that we just cannot experience freedom. Next week, we're going to begin to understand God's greatest desire, Galatians 5.1, we're going to start with, it's for freedom's sake that Christ set you free. Stand firm then, and don't allow yourself to be burdened again with a yoke to sin. When you see where Paul is going, Today is crucial that we get it in our minds, the correct perspective, or we will never experience the freedom that God called us into. So today is absolutely crucial. And I'm going to share with you what it is that he's saying here in a moment right after the purple mic. Who has the purple mic? Randy, yes. So reading about all this, I, I kept coming across the word called allegory and they yes. describe this as an allegory mm -hmm. and I thought allegories were good because um, Song, of, uh, Song of Solomon with mm -hmm. uh, his wife that's an allegory Amen. Mm -hmm. but I found out from studying that allegories are bad when you're preaching Yeah. because you're not supposed to do it because you take things out of context like imagine if you uh, looked at the uh, story of Samson mm -hmm. and he took down the two pillars Pastors sometimes do this. They'll go, mm -hmm. those two pillars are like lust. And mm -hmm. they'll, they'll take everything out of context oh, yeah. and use the allegory yep. wrongly. And then a lot of people were accusing Paul that maybe this allegory wasn't, wasn't true. But mm -hmm. he's actually using it correctly and also motivated by the Holy Spirit. Yes. And he's actually telling them that, hey, um, you guys are actually Ishmael. The Jews are Ishmael. Yeah. And, and the people who are not acting like Jews were actually from Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, thank you for bringing that up, Randy. You obviously did what I've asked everyone to do. You did a little research. You found out that what Paul does here, the people who heard it for the first time, because there would have been a reader who was reading it up front in church. And when they get to this point, it's really awkward. Because just like when I started pastoring in 93 in Texas, one of the biggest complaints I got was that I used illustrations and funny illustrations in church. Imagine that. No place. No place in church. That came 
right below the list of drama. No drama in church. And, well, no drums was number one, of course. So <laughs> one, two, and three, I, I kind of messed up all the way around. So in this allegory, all the Jews, you're right, Randy, all the Jews pictured themselves as the child of promise. Isaac, we're from Sarah. We're not from Ishmael. The Gentiles are from Ishmael. And so the expectation on them in this allegory is that when he concludes, he would say, now you Jews, you are children of Isaac. So go love in those children of Ishmael. Welcome them back into the fold, despite the fact that they've gone all out and done all these horrible things and have not followed the way of God because human effort caused a split in God's family. It was the lack of trust that God can do the humanly impossible that led to Ishmael's birth. It was when human nature, much like some church boards, sit around and say, how are we gonna do this evangelistic project? And someone comes up with a great manipulative idea of how to trick people into the church, into these programs, get them all excited, and then dunk them in the tank. And then we wonder why they don't stay. Paul says, if you keep trying to figure it out for yourself, that if you just do this and this and this, you're saved, as long as you figure out the human way of being saved, you're lost. Because just like Abraham and Sarah said, you know what, God promised this, but uh, nothing's really happening. Perhaps God, you know, God says, do your best, and then he does the rest. So how can we fulfill God's promise? What is our part? And because they tried to figure out the human method of fulfilling God's promise, we have wars today because of it. Complete world unrest because of one couple's decision to do God's will. They didn't let God enact his will. Had they been more patient, God would have enacted the promise. And Paul is saying, those of you church members, you don't get it. You're still trying to make the same mistake that Abraham and Sarah made by trying to do it in human effort. But if you will trust the God who saves, he will save. And he will do it in a miraculous and magical way that will prove that only God did it. And all these people are coming in saying, teach us more about this Messiah. This king of kings, this magical man who came and defined God in a way that the world had never heard of. And they're coming into church and Paul is saying, this is God bringing them back in. This is God doing a magical rebirth in their life. They are being born again in my promised people. And because of that, the church was angry. Let me ask you a question, because I, I, in closing, I want to get back to the point that was made before. How do you live in this relationship? So what do you do? Those of you who say, so do I just throw away the law? Because you read Romans chapter 3, especially verses 28 to 31, for those of you who are taking notes, and you read, he gets down to the end, he says, so does this living by faith through grace, does it nullify the law? Verse 31, he says, absolutely not. It upholds the law or uplifts the law, depending on your translation. 
So how is it that the law is not thrown away with, and yet Paul is saying, if you're living by the law, you're lost. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an opportunity, you're in the grocery store, and that poor young mother in front of you is buying all the formula and all the things, the diapers and stuff she needs for her baby, and by the time the checker finishes tallying up the bill, you see that poor young lady setting some stuff back. You ever seen that? I've seen it several times, and I've been delighted at times to be able to say, put it back. I've got it. How much do you need? You ever done that? How does it feel for the giver? Oh, you feel awesome, don't you? Let me ask this. Some of you have, have been on the receiving end of that. How did you feel? How did that change that moment, that moment of shame, that moment of you're not enough, you don't have enough, you can't provide, you cannot do your responsibility. How did it feel to you the moment that someone stepped in that you don't, you don't even know? They stepped in and they changed your life in that moment because all of a sudden you went from not having enough to having plenty. From not being able to, to now being able to. From being in a place to, of shame and embarrassment to a place of excitement and joy and a reaffirmation of humanity. How many of you have helped a student with their tuition at school? Some of you have set up endowments here. I know you're, you're incredible individuals. Some of you have been on the other side. How did it feel for you? You're trying to figure out, how am I going to make it through school? I can't even... I'm eating top ramen for breakfast just to make it through. And yet someone came along and they paid money for your bill. Now all of a sudden, you went from not being able to return next quarter to now you're able to continue preparation from your future. You went from not enough to now you have enough. You went from the shame of not being able to return and having to tell all your friends you can't return because of finances to now you're returning and nobody knows. How does it feel on either side? Because what Paul is calling you to here is to understand that the God of love says, I have enough, and I'm coming alongside of you, and I'm making up for all of your, shortness, uh, your shortfall. And I'm making sure that despite the fact you don't have wealth, I'm making sure you can continue. And once you understand, I call this living like you're paid for, once you understand that you can live like you're paid for, there's nothing you have to do to earn more of his love. It changes your perception of your loving God. Now, let's say you went through an opportunity and someone helped sponsor you or support you, and you had the opportunity to continue a relationship with the individual because you knew who they were. Some of you did that. I've done that myself. I wouldn't have made it through school had not very generous, loving, godly people sponsored me through school. You know how that changed my relationship with those people? It changed even the reason why I wanted to hang with them, not from a selfish standpoint, but from understanding these people truly love me. I didn't hardly know them, and they're giving up this for me. If you want to understand what Paul's saying here, you have to put yourself in the position of the receiver. What the Jews didn't understand is they always saw themselves in the position of the giver. I'm giving. I'm sacrificing. I'm making sure that these poor pagans receive salvation. And never once were stopping and, and realizing I'm the receiver because my human effort accomplishes nothing. It's only because of the 
generous grace of Jesus Christ to go through torture on a cross for me that I even have a chance to continue from here. I was paid for. I can't do anything to make God's cross better. And once we get into that position, that's where the relationship changes. Because when you realize God came right behind you and said, "Ah, I know your plans are going to change, but I want to change your entire life because I want to invest in you. And in that way, living like you're paid for, it changes your perspective of God as one who demands obedience to one who you ask, okay, what, what can I do? What is your will for my life? Because I realize I wouldn't have the life I have if it wasn't for you. What is your plan for me? Because I never, ever want to part from you again. And in that moment, you experience true freedom. Wow, that was such a great experience going through Paul's example of Abraham's two sons. I hope today that you can live like you're paid for. Know that God loves you. He's done everything for your salvation. He just needs you to accept it and live like it and go out and share it. Now, next week, you don't want to miss out because like I told you in this episode, we're going to be going through Galatians chapter five, the first half of it. And we're going to talk about what does it feel like to have true freedom. I hope to see you then. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats and the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.